Take your Bibles now, if you would, please, and if you'd open them to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6. It's once again our privilege to open up today to this very important text, which is a part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And of course, we are, have been speaking here for the past few weeks on the Lord's Prayer, and we're trying to learn a little bit more about how we can be effective with our prayers. Uh, Prayer has been understood to be the right of God's people all the way back to the very earliest of times. And God has let us know that he desires communication. Now that thought is just an astounding one when you see how holy and righteous that God is and how wicked and vile that we are, that God would actually desire communication with us. But the communication that God desires most definitely does have its parameters. Because God is holy and righteous, and because we are sinful and unrighteous, there is no common ground on which we can approach God. And so we don't just automatically have the right to speak with God. And that's why Jesus begins the Lord's Prayer with these words, Our Father. And I've tried to make this point clear in uh, each of the sermons that I preached on the subject. And the very first sermon in this little mini-series about prayer was on this, which was relationship. And Jesus very clearly established relationship with the very first words of instruction. And without that part of the prayer, the rest of the prayer really makes no sense. We can approach God only on the basis that we have become his children through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. Now, in the message today, we're going to explore that thought just a little bit more because in the next part of this prayer, it's dealing with sin. And uh, when a relationship with God is established, it only exists because that great dividing factor, the sin that separates us all from God, that sin has been taken care of. And unless sin is dealt with, God neither desires our fellowship, nor does he permit it. Now, I'd like for us to once again read the prayer as we have for each of these messages. And then we're going to take the next part of the prayer for today, and we're going to break it down, and we're going to consider why Jesus put this particular part into the prayer. And today our concentration will be on verse number 12, but we're also going to add the little addendum that comes after this in verses 14 and 15. Now, if you'd stand with me once again as we read God's Word, uh, we're all familiar with this, the Lord's Prayer, Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse number 9. And Jesus says, After this manner, therefore pray ye, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Heavenly Father, as we come into your presence today, I ask you that you would bless the reading of your word. And I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would be among us today and help us to understand this portion of your holy word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Thus far in our messages, we've discussed five different parts of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father is relationship. Hallowed be thy name is reverence. Thy kingdom come is God's rule. 
Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. That is the rapport of prayer. Give us this day our daily bread is resources. And today we come to the sixth part of this prayer, which is repentance. Jesus says, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. This part concerns forgiveness. It's repentance towards God because sins that we have committed have separated us from God. And also that we want to learn here how we are to have God's heart and we might learn his character, how we treat others that have sinned against us. Now, several weeks ago, I explained why the Lord's Prayer, that terminology, really doesn't apply so well to this. Uh, Commonly, everybody calls this the Lord's Prayer. Everyone knows that name. But people often assume that because Jesus spoke these particular words that they are just so very special that we are to keep them intact and we are to repeat these on a frequent basis and uh, uh, believers should make this a, a permanent part of their prayer lives. But this is not really the Lord's Prayer because it's not a prayer that Jesus would have prayed for himself. Jesus was a man of prayer. He believed in prayer. He often spent long hours in prayer. But never once did Jesus pray these particular words for himself. And the reason that he didn't is in verse number 12, where Jesus says that we are to pray for the forgiveness of sin. Jesus had no sin to be forgiven of. And so he wouldn't have prayed this prayer for himself. Now, that's very important because the reason that we can come to God and the reason that we can pray to him and we can ask him for forgiveness is because of Christ. Because he lived a sinless, perfect life, that's the reason that we can come to God. There is no sin in Christ. But I want to make this point very clear to you again. Prayer is not allowed for those who are not already believers. You can't pray to God unless sin has been taken care of. You have to be justified from your sins. You must be legally free from condemnation. You must have all of your sins washed away in the blood of Jesus Christ. But it's not in the sense of a person needing judicial forgiveness that Jesus is speaking of in this prayer. Now, if you as a Christian had to pray every time and ask God for judicial forgiveness, that that is, that you would be free from condemnation and that you wouldn't be under the penalty of hell, then you could never have assurance throughout your life. And so Jesus doesn't instruct on this. The prayer uh, wouldn't make sense if Jesus is saying you have to continually ask for judicial forgiveness of sins. And I'll explain that in a little bit more detail later. But I want to make that part of it clear because my very first point in the message tonight is to talk, or this morning, is to talk about that judicial aspect. The relationship of prayer demands that the judicial aspect of forgiveness must have happened to you. So let's begin with this today, uh, the conviction of sin. The greatest need that you and I have is forgiveness. Now, you'll notice that Jesus uses a word in relation to sin that's a bit unusual. He says, forgive us our debts. And then in verses 14 and 15, he speaks of trespasses. And when the Lord's Prayer is repeated, you often hear those terms used interchangeably, either either sins or, or debts or trespasses. But if you wanted to put in the place of that sins, then you would be perfectly all right because both of those terms, debt and trespasses, mean that very same thing. It's talking about sin. But the word debt is peculiarly important because it brings out an aspect of sin that we might not otherwise think about. And that is, when we sin against God, we incur a debt to him. We have an obligation to God. 
And I would describe that as being the legal problem. Every person has a legal problem, and the legal problem is that we have been separated from a holy God by this huge debt, this massive debt that is piled up against us. And every sin that we commit is a violation of God's law, and every time we sin, we keep adding and adding and adding more and more to that debt. I think I could help you to understand it a little bit better by comparing it to breaking man's law. Now, I'm not really supposed to tell you this, But several weeks ago, before Christmas, I I went to Oakland to pick up my son-in-law at the airport. And as we were driving back from Oakland, uh, we were talking to one another. I wasn't paying attention, and I was zipping along, as I usually do, about 80 miles an hour. And when I did, I went right past three CHP officers that were sitting on the side of the road. And as soon as I did, in that split second, those lights flashed on, and that officer came after me. Well, what I had done, I had, I had broken the law, and I had incurred a penalty. And in this case, that penalty was $261. And, and I have to tell you the truth about that, too. Normally, I would have been guilty of probably a whole lot more, because uh, when that officer approached my window, I might have said some things that I shouldn't say. Now, I wouldn't curse him, because I don't do that, but I might have la- lashed out at him at anger. But I didn't do that at this particular time because I knew that I was caught dead to rights. It was my fault. And so I had incurred a debt that I needed to pay. Now, let's suppose, though, for a moment that along with speeding, that I wasn't wearing my seatbelt. And that would be another debt. And then I was texting while I was driving. <laughs> that, that's another debt. And Brother Eric back there could attest to that. And suppose then that my brake lights didn't work and that I'd been drinking. Well, all of those would be a debt, and it keeps building up and building up, and every one of those infractions have to be taken care of. And that's the way that it is with our sin. Every time that you sin, you keep adding to that debt. Now, Paul says something interesting about this in Romans 2, verse number 5. He says, But after thy hardness and impenitent heart, treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath, and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Now there Paul is speaking about sin, and he says because of your persistence in sin and because of your obstinacy against God, you keep treasuring up all of this debt, and one day God is going to call into that debt. Now God is keeping a record of all the sins that we commit, and one day God is going to call in the debt and say that this has to be paid for. Now I want you to listen uh, to this scripture in Revelation chapter 20. It says, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open. And another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things that were written in the books according to, those work, to their works. Now there, the Bible is describing the judgment of the wicked. And in the final judgment, it says that the books will be opened. And you know what's in the books? In those books are all the sins that we have committed. That's God's record. That's the record of the debt that keeps piling up. And God says that there is a day of reckoning that's coming. And God says, you must pay up. Now that's our legal problem. We don't owe God a monetary debt, but we owe him a legal debt. And one way or another, that has to be paid. Now, that brings us then to the Lord's provision. 
We have all of these sins that have been piled up against us, and God has determined that that debt must be satisfied, and there's only two ways that the debt can be satisfied. Either we have to pay it ourselves, or someone has to pay it for us. Now, you can trust me on this, that this debt is worse than a credit card, because no matter how long that you pay on it, you're just never going to get it paid off. But thank the Lord for this, that God has provided a way that sin can be forgiven. In other words, he says there is a way that the debt can be paid. And God's method to pay all of that sin debt was to put it upon Christ. And so when Christ went to the cross of Calvary, he paid the debt that was against everyone who believes. And so he opened up those books where all the sins are recorded, everything that you've ever committed in all of your life, all of the sins that you would commit in the future, and then God put all of those sins on Christ so that when you trust Christ as Savior, what God does, he wipes that slate completely clean. Now that is really what we mean by the term justification. Now, if you've heard that uh, theology and theology, that term, that's what justification actually is. All of your sins have been put on Christ, and Christ's goodness, his righteousness, what he earned by a perfect life is then given to you. And that is the change in your legal standing before God. The debt is paid, and you didn't have to pay it because Christ paid it for you. Now, the marvelous thing about that is that God didn't have to do it. God is perfectly righteous, and he didn't really have to do anything for us. He didn't have to give Christ, and Christ didn't have to go to the cross to do that willingly. But instead, Christ said that I will do this, and God then agreed to accept that payment that Christ has made, and he accepts that on our behalf, and he really didn't have to do any of that. He could have just said, well, you did this crime, and now you have to do the time. So that's the forgiveness of our debt. We recognize the debt by the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and we realize this debt is far beyond our ability to pay. And so by faith in Christ, we receive him into our hearts, and all of our sins, all of those debts or trespasses, if you prefer those words, those things have been paid by Christ. And then when that debt is paid, all of the obstacles that prevent our relationship with God are removed and then we become children of God by faith. So that means that the legal problem is taken care of. But until that problem is satisfied, until the legalities are pushed out of the way, you have no basis on which to come to God. Now that's the initial part of forgiveness. And that part has to be taken care of before you pray. Now as a Christian, you don't pray for that because that's already been taken care of. And that's what I mean when I say that uh, Christ is not talking about that particular type of forgiveness in this prayer. So you have to have this. But if you had to go to God time and time again for this particular problem, then it would mean that you have no security in Christ. It means that the debt keeps piling up. And the best that you could ever hope for is that you would come down to the hour of your death and you would pray one last prayer in hopes that you would get forgiveness of your sins that haven't been paid for. Now, really, that's what we're talking about, or Roman Catholicism talks about when it it gives the last rites. What they're trying to do is to get that last bit of forgiveness in. But the truth is that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, all of your sin debt has been paid for Christ in Christ. Christ paid all of the debt, and so you don't have to ask each time for that type of forgiveness. But we do notice here, Jesus says, you must pray for forgiveness. So what kind of forgiveness is he speaking of? 
Well, that brings us then to the confession of sin. If all of your sins are forgiven, then why would you need further repentance? Now, let me emphasize this part of, again, very briefly, that, and you need to make note of this because there are two words that are very important here, and the first word is relationship. Forgiveness establishes relationship. So that initial act of forgiveness is the justification, and that establishes your relationship with God. Now, in that sense, we're, we're asking God for forgiveness of sin, and I mean sin in the singular a moment ago, we talked about the legal problem, and the legal problem is taken care of on the Christ, cross of Christ because there he, he paid the, the penalty of sin. That penalty is hell, and when Christ went to the cross, he actually suffered all of the hell that you would have to suffer should you have to pay that entire load of sin yourself. Now, that sin singular problem, and when that's taken away, then the relationship always stands good. Now, if you don't have that relationship, then there is no basis why you should be able to come to God. But then, if the legal barrier has been removed, then there's no basis why God would ever end that relationship. Now, I love the way that the Bible puts this because it talks about our salvation as being born again. And when you're born again, the believer in Christ becomes a child of God. God becomes your father, and no matter how long in time or eternity... You can't be ever unborn. You are a son or you're a daughter of the Father. But the fact remains that Jesus still says you have to pray for forgiveness of sin. So so what does he mean here? Well, the meaning comes out in the second word that I want you to know, and it's the word fellowship. Forgiveness ensures fellowship. Now, how many of you here today are Christians? I mean, you're born-again believers in Christ. Now, how many would raise your hand and say, I still sin? Well, I would think everybody would raise their hands on that one. We all still sin. Now, this is what Jesus is talking about here. We've already been saved. We've been justified from our sins, but we continue to commit sin after we've been born again. So what Jesus is talking about here is those daily ongoing sins. Now, if you would, I'd like you to turn over to the book of John, chapter 13. And we have in this chapter a very pointed illustration by Jesus that discusses the very thing that we're talking about today. Now, I'm not going to read the the whole story of this right now, but you'll recognize this. The scene is the Last Supper, uh, right after Jesus had and the disciples had eaten the common meal, and just before Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, he arose from the table, and he took a basin of water, and he began to wash the disciples' feet. Now, in those days, the shoes that they wore were just open sandals, and traveling along the hot, dusty roads of that day, their feet would become dirty. Normally, they would have a bowl of water that was sitting at the doorway of the house, and there would be a servant there. And so when you entered into a house, that servant would take your sandals off, and he would begin to wash your feet. Now, this is what Jesus is doing in this particular scripture. As Jesus began to wash their feet, Peter protested. Now look at verse number 6 in chapter 13. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. 
Jesus saith unto him, He that is washed needs not save or accept to wash his feet, but is clean every way or every whit. And ye are all clean, but not all. Now, Peter's protest is one I think that we, we would naturally have. There is Jesus. He's God. He is God in the flesh. He's holy and he's exalted. And Peter was not about to let Jesus wash his feet. Now, Jesus here is teaching a lesson about a servant, uh, being a servant, that's for sure. But there's also something else that's intended here. And that is the dirt that's on Peter's feet represented all of those daily defilements that each of us are prone to. And so that represents all of our bad thoughts, all the words that we speak harshly to one another, our mistreatment of one another. It means those daily sins that we commit after becoming Christians. Now, we notice here that when Peter protested, Jesus said, Peter, you need to do this because without it, you can't have part with me. There, Jesus is speaking about fellowship. He's not talking about the relationship. And so, uh, Peter said, well, if that's the case, Lord, then what I want you to do is give me a whole bath. Wash me all over so I can really have part with you. And Jesus says, Peter, you don't really need that because once you've been justified for your sins, once that legality has been taken care of, you don't need to be washed all over again, but what you need is just to have your feet washed because you need to have your daily sins taken care of. So here's what Jesus is speaking about. He's talking about how that sin hurts our fellowship with God. Now, it's amazing to me how the Word of God fits together so clearly. When the Holy Spirit is guiding you and taking the Word and, and taking to different parts of the Word, you begin to see what the Bible is talking about. Now, John, who is the writer of the Gospel of John, had this incident stick in his mind so that later when he wrote First John, he recalled it in a certain scripture that he gave. And that's in First John chapter 1, verse number 9. He says, If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There, John is not talking about justification. He's actually writing to believers. And what he's speaking of is the daily defilement that each of us experience. Now, when I was speeding down 101, uh, I needed the forgiveness of that. I, I, I confess to you, I do that often. And the, and the law is not very forgiving of me until I pay those penalties. So I have to confess that sin, that I, that I do that and ask God to forgive me of it. Sometimes I think I need to confess that I'm not as loving as I should be. I get aggravated at hard-headed church members sometimes. And so I'm not as loving as I'm supposed to be. Sometimes I don't treat my wife like I should. And do you, know, you husbands know this, that Peter speaks specifically about that sin as a sin that hinders your prayers? Listen to it. Peter said this in 1 Peter 3, verse 7. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life. Listen, that your prayers be not hindered. That says that a bad relationship with your wife can kill your prayers. Now, you men, did you know that that your wife had that much control over you? I mean, she can snatch your prayers right out of thin air. Well, I need forgiveness of those kinds of things. Because if I don't confess them, my prayers are hindered. And so what our sins do, they throw up this barrier of fellowship. And even though we can never lose the relationship that we have with the Father, yet our fellowship with Him can be broken. Now, God hates sin, and he hates it all of the time, whether you're saved or whether you're lost. And for a Christian, your unconfessed sin 
may be the very reason why God does not answer your prayers. I mean, have you ever done this? Have you ever prayed and you felt like there was this great big canopy over the room? And no matter how long you prayed, it just seems the prayers don't get through. That's what happens when you have unconfessed sin. It traps the prayers until you confess it. Now, the thing is, God has all these wonderful blessings to give us. And God desires to give those to us. But God is not going to answer your prayers while at the same time leaving you with unconfessed sin because he knows this. If he keeps giving to you, then you will never learn to live a holy and a righteous life. And so that's why Jesus says that you need to include this in your prayer. You need to have a petition where you ask for forgiveness of your daily sins. Now, he does that for your good. He wants you to learn something. He wants you to have unbroken fellowship with God that goes along with a relationship. Now, let's look at one more aspect of forgiveness and repentance as expressed in this petition. Number three is the confidence of forgiveness. Now, that takes us to that little addendum on the subject in verses 14 and 15. He says, For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, here is a great principle that's taught in this sixth petition of the Lord's Prayer. And it's this. God wants to develop his character in you. Now, we've discussed how the Lord's Prayer is divided into two parts. There are the thy petitions. That's the first part. And that's where we begin by giving God all of his due. That's where we reverence his name. We pray for his kingdom. We pray for his will to be done. And those are the thy petitions. We're always considering God up front. But there are also these our petitions. And I want to point it out particularly here that these petitions are not divided into thy petitions and my petitions. These are our petitions. And the reason that it's this way is that prayer comprehends a sense of community. We're all together in this. None of us lives out here on an island by ourselves, and it's just us that we need to consider, just me. I have to consider others that are in the community of the fellowship of God's people. So we are a community of, of believers. And in order for us to live together and to stay together, we have to consider one another. We have to get along with one another. So in this prayer, there is a recognition that daily sins will often ruin our fellowship with each other. And so therefore, God wants his character to be developed in us. You see, when we each have God's character, we also have fellowship with each other. And that's automatic. When we conform to God, we have fellowship with him. And at the same time, we all conform to each other. And then we have fellowship with each other. So that's inevitable. It's also inevitable inevitable that sometimes you are going to fall. And either I am going to offend you, or you're going to offend me, or we're going to offend each other. Now, God's character is that we have committed terrible offenses against him. In fact, the, the sins that we commit, commit against God, these infractions that we have of God's law, are far worse against him than anything that we could do to one another. I mean, that's far out of anybody's league. When you offend God, that's worse than anything that you could possibly do. And yet we do know this, that God graciously forgives our great sins. Now here we are in this daily defilement of sin, even after we become Christians. We've been justified with God, and yet we still go Christians resisting God's will, but God keeps on forgiving. God says that that is the kind of character 
that you should have. Now, Paul gives us a definitive verse on forgiveness in the book of Ephesians. He says, And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Now, thank God when we read that scripture that we should understand that we don't have to forgive exactly as God forgives. There's none of us that could really do that. And so if we had to forgive exactly as God forgives, then we'd spend all the rest of our lives out of fellowship with God. But what it's actually talking about here is this attitude. We, all, we always are to have an attitude that we're willing to forgive those who wrong us because God was willing to forgive us when we wronged him. That's God's character. And we're never going to accomplish God's work as a church when we can neither have fellowship with God or with each other. So that could be some of the problem also that we have with having prayers being answered. I mean, could you look around the room today and can you find another member of the church that you just won't have anything to do with? Now, they may have done something to you or maybe not. Maybe you just perceive that they've done something to you. And so you're holding a grudge against them. And so every time you see that person, whenever you're around them, you're always thinking bad thoughts. Now, sometimes people really haven't done anything at all. We just don't like them. And so we just assume, well, someday they will do something against me, and so I'm just not going to have anything to do with them. That's really messed up. I mean, folks, that does not make for good church. Now, for sure we know this, that according to the Apostle John, we can have confidence that God will forgive our sins when we ask for it. But there's a little caveat that's introduced in verse number 14. There is a condition that God places on this in order to receive forgiveness. Now remember once again, here we're talking about fellowship. This is not about our relationship. But to have fellowship with God, there is a caveat introduced in verse number 14. Now it's expressed in a positive way. He says, For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. So the positive in this is the promise of reward. If you forgive, your heavenly Father will forgive you. And so you can have every confidence that if you fulfill this condition, that God is not going to hold anything against you when you ask him for his forgiveness. I mean, you can get forgiveness of your own sins. So God hears that prayer. It's positive. There is a reward for you. And the reward that you receive is fellowship with God. Verse number 15 introduces a negative caveat. He says, But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. So there's the negative. And the negative is the promise of retribution. Now, you can have confidence in this as well. You can mark it down, chalk it up, count it any way that you want to count it, that if you do not forgive others, then you do not have the character of God. You haven't developed the right character. You've stifled God's will. You have have that canopy that's placed over you, and God is not going to lift that canopy that allows those prayers to get through and to be answered. Now, you sit there and you think, well, is that really so bad? I mean, I want to hang on to this. I mean, I'm so stubborn. I'm not about to give in. But I want to remind you that any time that God says, I will not forgive you, you are in a heap of trouble, boy. That's the worst thing that can happen to you. Your greatest need is forgiveness. And if you don't have your greatest need, how much trouble are you in? So we look at this. What, What does an unforgiving spirit do? You know, it's not as easy as saying, okay, well, I'll just ignore prayer for a while. 
But haven't we said that prayer is the highest spiritual activity of man? If you can't pray because you're hindered by all these things that are in your life, that means that you're not a spiritual person. God's blessings have been shut out. And do you know what's on the other side of this? The other side of it is chastisement. And it comes in a lot of different forms. Now, first of all, an unforgiving spirit makes you a bitter person. Nobody is hurt as badly by an unforgiving spirit as you are. Do you understand why? Because that other person that you won't forgive, they may, it may bother them for a little while. Sometimes they don't even know about it that you won't forgive them. But you know about it. And every time that you see them, every time that you think about them, you've always got that thought in your mind. It's always bothering you. And so you become a prisoner to those kinds of thoughts. And those things will drive you crazy. And so you get bent out of shape all the time. You're a prisoner to the feelings. You can't function right. And you certainly can't function rightly within the church. The misery of an unforgiving spirit is that mental anguish that you go through because of it. But God may extend that to other types of chastisement as well. I mean, if you persist, you can't pray. And so that means that the flow of blessings are stopped. I mean, it's just like you build a dam on a river. Everything below the dam runs dry. And so this may happen to you. I mean, your, your job, your finances, in your household. You see, whenever you're out of God's will, anything is fair game. So it's not as simple as saying, well, okay, I just won't pray for a while. You might think that you could live without it, but I feel sorry for your miserable existence. So you can have every confidence in the negative side of this as well as the positive. And if you will not forgive, I can say positively that you will feel negatively. So you see what Jesus is teaching here? What he's trying to do for us is trying to correct our prayer, and he's trying to help us straighten all of this out and to ensure that prayer is pleasing and that prayer gets its intended result. Now, the scribes and the Pharisees that he's speaking to and the other people there, there were many of them that could not tap in to this intended result. The scribes and the Pharisees had a relationship that was wrong. They dishonored God's name. They disobeyed God's commandments. The kingdom was taken away from them. God's will was not done in their lives. And for sure, they were so stubborn that they wouldn't repent of any of it. So they're stuck here. From top to bottom, they're all wrong. And their prayers were just like spitting in the wind. Just like that great Bible scholar and lyricist Jim Croce said, you don't pull the mask of the old Lone Ranger and you don't spit into the wind. You see, God does not want you to end up with your prayers being blown back into your face. And so he has the conditions out there. There is a community of saints and we have to get along with one another. And so Jesus says, when you ask God to forgive you of your sins, you also ask that you can be the kind of person who will forgive others who have wronged you. And when you do, fellowship with God is maintained. So you feel good about the prayer, and prayer is answered. Now let me end today with this statement. Forgiveness restores the joy of salvation. There's nothing that will enable you to enjoy your salvation more than when you have and when you have given forgiveness. There was a head of a mental institution in in England who made this statement. He said, I could dismiss half my patients tomorrow if they could be assured of forgiveness. You see, forgiveness means that we're carrying around this awful load of guilt. It's a great burden. And when God forgives, he releases us from that guilt. My sins are no longer upon me. My sins have been paid for in Christ, and I stand justified before God. 
Now, after I'm saved, I still need forgiveness, not because I feel guilty in the area of needing to get out of the punishment of hell, but I feel guilty because I'm bearing unconfessed sin. And you don't know how many Christians that I've talked to that they can talk a good game, but they have guilt written all over their faces. And that's because they're carrying around unconfessed sin. They have something against somebody, something that's going on in their life, whatever it might be, and that has dried up God's blessings for them. And so it's written all over their face, the misery that they have by carrying around an unforgiving spirit. Jesus says, you can be released from that guilt just by praying, God, forgive me, mean it sincerely, repent in the prayer, and then forgive others as well. And folks, I promise you that it will make a huge difference in the joy of your salvation. 1 John 1.4 says, And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. And that actually comes in the very same chapter where John said what I quoted a moment ago, If you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive you of all of your sins. That's what it takes to maintain the joy of your salvation. Consider the debt that you have to God and confess it, and then forgive the debts that others have against you. And the joy of your salvation will always be maintained. Let's pray. Heavenly Fathers, we come to your presence today. We thank you for great lessons from your word. And Lord, we are desirous to learn about prayer. Uh, We want to know how we can get our prayers answered. We want to know what's pleasing to you. And we see here, Lord, that one of the most important things that we can do is to ask forgiveness of our sins and then to forgive those who have sinned against us. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to Christian people today, first of all, that you would help them to understand this forgiveness needs to be maintained in order that we might have fellowship with you and fellowship with with each other. And then, Lord, for those who may be lost today, They haven't received forgiveness, total forgiveness of of their sins. They have not stood justified before you. I pray, Lord, that even right now, your Holy Spirit would speak to their hearts and make them realize that they must trust Christ and they must have that sin debt wiped away before they can ever have fellowship and relationship with you. So, Lord, we pray that you bless in this hour, uh, this moment that we sing. And, Lord, speak to our hearts through your word and through this message and song. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.